To be a yogi. I'm Edward Reed, producer and host of the To Be a Yogi podcast. Today, I will be interviewing illuminating Shakti and unstoppable goddess Lily Lucia. I recently caught her on a Facebook live stream in which she was walking through Manhattan late at night using yogic principles to explain how to avoid being triggered. And so, without further ado, let's get to the interview, shall we? Welcome to the To Be a Yogi podcast. Thank you so much. You're I'm welcome. so honored to be here. Now, um, if you don't mind telling us a, a little bit about the meaning of your name. Oh, Lily Lucia. Yes. The name. Okay. So when I was a senior in high school, I was kind of in a dark time and I was reading Thich Nhat Hanh's book, mm-hmm. Pieces in Every Step. And it talks about how flowers are nothing more than gifts to the world. And at that point, like, I really wanted my life to have that intention because before I really did not. I was really um, kind of, yeah, dark, pissed at the world, things like that. So I was really changing the direction of my life. Therefore, I wanted to have the intention of being in my life, have nothing more than be a gift to the world. Cool. So I chose a flower name. And then later on, I was looking for a name, and Lucia in Italian means light. Mm. Yeah. Flower of light. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So when did you start uh, becoming interested in yoga or practicing? I started practicing yoga when I was 18 and I was in college for dance. I went mm-hmm. to my first yoga class in Seattle. Nice. Yeah. You're from Seattle? I'm not from Seattle. I'm from the coast of Oregon originally. Okay. Yeah. I love the co- coast of Oregon. We had our honeymoon in Rockaway Beach. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah the coast of Oregon's really, really gorgeous. I always think of it's like NorCal. So if you know NorCal Beach at all, right. like Marin. Yeah, like but that. even more so. <laughs> yeah. There's more snow and, you know. Totally. Yeah. So, so uh, who were some of your most influential teachers? Um, my most influential teachers were maybe not people that I directly studied under, but I was definitely touched by Sean Korn's work, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, just because she has so much heart and love and is just such a beautiful teacher, as well as Shiva Ray. Oh, yeah. Just because she's a dancer and then she also really goes deep into the lineage. So I've actually had people complain about when they take trainings with her. She uses that terminology of the Sanskrit and mm-hmm. Hinduism so strongly that if you're not really have a strong kind of base knowledge in that, it's really hard right. to keep up with her, actually. How cool. Yeah, but I, I actually really appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that somebody goes that deep into the lineage and into, like, the other side of it. You know, sometimes I think as Americans, we have a real tendency to go surface. Right. So I appreciate people that really Yeah, go and there seems to be a lot of people representing that, um, you know, you can have wine before yoga and yeah, just use totally. English names. Totally, yeah. totally. A hundred percent, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as, as new and as recent as kind of the Yamahas and Niyamas are mm-hmm. of the uh, eight limbs of yoga. I do think those eight limbs are really important to go into and not just the physical practice, but yeah. really to make it into a meditation, to a peace practice, into a life transformation and self-transformation For program. For sure. I'm looking forward to working at like a yoga studio so I can do that because right now I work at Crunch Fitness, so it would be inappropriate for me to walk in and just start saying, we're going to talk about nonviolence today. You know, I mean, maybe a little bit I can kind of bring up. 
you know, the yamas and the niyamas. For sure. I think you can actually do it in a way that is totally digestible, though. And I think it's actually, you know, kind of a part of the journey. Because I've definitely taught at gyms. I think most people in today's society, if you teach yoga all, you at one point have taught into a gym. Yeah. I think it is cool. You can either look at it one way of being like, oh, this is really challenging because you can't openly chant and do those things, right? Yeah. But at the same time, how can you kind of bring that wisdom into a way that is digestible and something that they can get a little seed of that wisdom through? It's also a really cool thing to ask yourself. Yeah. Totally. So I noticed the other day you were live streaming about um, how to avoid having your buttons pushed. Would that relate to the eight the eightfold? Uh, well, For sure. So it was actually more about when we're triggered and our mind gets right. off. That's right. So yeah, it definitely is because we talk a lot about night. I forget particularly, but it's about discipline. So discipline of the mind and of character and choosing where we want to go. So I was talking about um, on the live stream, if you are choosing a new mindset to be successful or to be peaceful or to be a certain new way, and then something happens and you get triggered and you emotionally want to go to a different space, like how to get your mind back on point. And I'd have to say that focus and dedication, that kind of mind discipline is completely in yoga. I actually think that a lot of the yoga that's super important is to really cultivate a mind of peace and of centering and of letting go of being reactionary and really choosing what you want to be. So in practices like yoga, you are given an opportunity to step back, take a moment, learn not how to react to pain or to pleasure or to whatever that is and really take a moment and cultivate that you are the deciding factor in the end of your life and how to really discipline your mind with focus as well. Yeah. I think that um, that's actually also one of the most important aspects of yoga is the focus of yoga, um, the drishti, which is really takes you to the next level. So when you have really oh, strong drishti, right. which is gaze, which is focus, yeah. um, the physical practice, and then embodying that into the mind, and you really have that arrow-like um, you know, mind that you're just like, no, I'm going to stay in this way and be of this character and be of this mentality is when you really start to shift yourself in your life. That makes sense. I hadn't thought of the drishti as being more than... Um... I mean, as a metaphor, like beyond just something that you look at to keep you balanced. Because if you're looking all over the room, like if I'm checking out everybody while I'm in tree pose, I'll fall over, you know. Totally. And uh, I'd have to say that, yeah, drishti is definitely a lot more than just the physical aspect. It content, it like actually really represents in your life your own drishti and your own focus. And how when you really have that super strong focus, that that's when you're going to have bigger openings. So if you ever try to do that and really use your drishti, which is focus for everyone who doesn't know, it's when you choose one point and you just stare at that and you don't lose focus and look around. Um, Your practice, your physical practice in yoga will change as well as your mental and spiritual practice. And normally you have an awakening of your energy centers. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Is that related, do you think, to the, what is it, the sixth um, of the eight, the dharana? Is that the sixth one? The uh, concentration? That's definitely concentration for sure. So that's like the mind of yoga. So like that's why a lot of times in meditation you're asked not to move or do those things and to really stay present. So all of that is concentration. And especially in our society today with everything we have going and going 20,000 miles per hour, which I really enjoy, but at the same time, you know, you see that really successful people meditate and do these things because you also need to be really present and slow and focused. Yeah. So the stronger our focus is, the more potent it's going to be. Right. And you can burn out going at those high speeds, running all those gears at once. And, you know. They... You don't want frantic energy. Yeah. You want really grounded, powerful energy. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So how can people find you? Are you usually here in town? Um, I would say I'm in L.A. quite often, but you mm-hmm. can always find me on... Um, 
Unstoppable Goddess is my handle on almost all platforms. My name is Lily Lucia, which is spelled L-I-L-Y-L-U-C-I-A, as well as my company, Illuminating Shakti. So I have yes. like uh, social media on both YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. So find me, follow me, and yeah, I will be doing more live classes as well for yoga, cool. so yoga in the parks. And things of that nature, yeah. Do you teach at a particular um, studio or? I do not teach at a studio right now. I teach actually mainly private, mm-hmm. and every once in a while, group classes. I travel too much and kind of just um, the life of a studio teacher is just right. not what I want anymore. Yeah. I did that for a long time. So I really like to cultivate. That's why I'm doing online classes because it's a little bit more uh, transferable for me wherever I am, a little more with my lifestyle. As well as privates are really amazing because I love going into like people's homes and their spaces and really yeah. cultivating a really deep practice, which is originally how yoga was done so yoga was originally done one-on-one with you and your guru and master so the class really reflected what you needed to be have breakthroughs on and desires and your own things and not just a mold of this is a class for 30 people try to fit into it because our bodies and our dharma and our karma are all really different therefore when i work one-on-one with someone i can go really deep into like what is providing them the best kind of practice to suit them and to blossom them that makes sense very cool yeah So what would you say is the benefit of yoga? I would say the benefit of yoga is going to be actually peace of mind and really cultivating self-love. So we really have to learn how to not become reactive, as we spoke about before, but really learn to have a mind that's grounded in the now and learn to clear our inner world. So yoga is a place that we can stretch, and I do believe that everything is physically held within the body. So I'm a big person that's not just a mind person, but things also have to be a physical practice. Right. So the more that we stretch and open, the lineage and the things that are stuck within us from the past will start to bubble up, and we can really start to clear out that. So I'd say the best part of yoga is really actually the inner peace and cultivation of inner bliss and ecstasy and oneness with ourself in this moment. Nice. That makes me think of the tapas, the burning off of old karma and all that. Yeah, so that's really what it's about. Yeah, it's self-realization, also self-transformation. So you really want to be a different person at the end than you were before to release the the gunk and the tension and the stress and like all of those things, you know, that cultivate within our body and to give them a moment or else they live within us still. So we have to like really breathe them through. And then feeding it back in, you have to be a, well, it helps to be in a state of contentment when you go into that state of tapas in order to get into a deeper state of contentment, in order to go deeper with the tapas. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Exactly. What's your favorite pose? My favorite pose would definitely probably be like wheel or dancer. I love anything that opens the chakras, feels super awakening. You can instantly feel that that energetics. And it's really hard to deny in any kind of opener like that, that this is not a powerful practice and that things move. As soon as you do that, you're like, oh, my chakras have burst open and I feel energetic, like energetically amazing and things like that. So I'd have to say any like really big openers so dancer or wheel very similar. that makes sense yeah it's interesting how i mean all the emotions have their corresponding uh posture totally and being looking at your phone seems to automatically take you to that depressed posture if if only there was like you know maybe later they'll have more augmented i would say reality that's true i'd say that that's like your own interpretation of that of, of leaning down like this i would say that that's your choice to lean like that's that. true that's your choice Sit to up. look at your phone yeah so that's Sometimes what you just naturally associate and have them totally exactly i mean you can totally you can even do a back bend and look at your phone so i would say you know that you right now are totally associating the fact that you have to be this certain posture to look at your yeah, phone yeah. which are not truthful which okay, is, okay you know so i really ask you to i notice i notice other people doing it too yeah 
For sure, but I would have to say once again, that's because that's what you're looking for. Just like if we always are looking for the purple Jeep, Hmm. we notice a thousand purple Jeeps all of a sudden, right? So if we notice the people that are always, or we are like, everyone's grumpy, then you notice everyone who's grumpy. If you're like, everyone's really nice, then you notice how everyone is really sweet. Well, I I notice that it affects my mood scrolling through my news feed. For sure. Seeing people yelling at each other and, you know. For sure. But there's there's like a balance because I don't want to be uninformed because I've gone to that extreme before where I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to hear about the news. I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to hear about politics. I'm just going to bury myself in the sand. And, uh, but then I couldn't really part keep up with conversations in, in public and then in, in wanting to be social and to be able to jump in and say, I'm familiar with this. I like started watching the daily show. Like yeah, John, John Stewart. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. <laughs> just filtered through for John sure, Stewart. For sure. And, uh, yeah. I think that it's, I have that balance as well. Also because I do want to know, and I know that we don't get all the news and there is definitely things that in the mass media we're not told, but I'd rather know at least some things like I will tell you, I was just in New York and if I wasn't on kind of news, I would have no idea there were massive fires here in LA last weekend, right. you know, just find interesting or just yeah. like, you know, to know if there's a certain war that started over in Turkey or, you know, right. things like that. Like it's really, I think good to be informed about things like that, not because I want to have a negative focus, but just yeah. because I want to know in the world on a compassionate level, on a prayer level, on a like global oneness level, yeah. what are other people's experiences right now in the world happening? Right. Um, I think that's also just part of why I want to be informed yeah. on a level, even though I do understand it's not going to be always a hundred percent truthful, but I find it that it's sometimes better to have a little bit of knowledge. I don't like to go deeply into it, but yeah, with politics this year, I definitely actually have been super hands off. Cause I'm like, it just is all a mess to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. I don't support any of it. So I'm just like, it's just all a disaster. Yeah. It's a joke at this point. Yeah. Ugh. What would a perfect world look like? Um, I think a perfect world would look like something to where we all are super comfortable with being uniquely us and that we still don't all subscribe to the same thoughts or ideals, but we appreciate each other's differences and we understand it's not wrong or right it's just different as well as because i think the difference in the uniqueness of the world is super fun like i think it'd be so boring if everyone always believed the same thing i did or that i'm always like oh my god that's so boring you know so i think you know perfect world would just be really and also just be at peace so we do feel that there's some kind of connection between um each other some kind of oneness and then we all party together and learn how to take care of each other and there was like an underlying uh Oneness to where we didn't feel the need to fight or to do those things, but it's just really challenging because you know. Yeah. yeah. Nice. What do, What do you have co- uh, coming up? Um, what do I have coming up? I'm doing a uh, you know a tantra yogic show for a dating show actually what is on this? Thursday, so okay. it's like a reality <laughs> show, and I'm taking them through like a tantra yogic session. Nice. On, yeah, so it should be super Which show fun. Is that? I have no idea what it's called. It's brand new, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> I just said yes. Um, I have a new acting partner, and I have a YouTube series coming out, and I have. You know, cool. sensual shakti, and I have all these different things just coming into a form right now. So a lot of different things, as well as my own yoga channel online. So that's all really exciting, and that's what's coming up is just the whole entire breathing of unstoppable goddess into the world, and you know, really taking a global initiative for this as a love leader. Nice. Yeah. What are your long-term plans? My long-term plans are to make Unstoppable Goddess, which is my sacred sexuality and divinely empowerment, uh, business into a nine-figure to ten-figure business, and uh, as well as I want to be a model actress 
in the United States and just kind of really hit a global level is the Divine Feminine to channel that and also have my own kind of like yoga line and fitness line to really influence that because I'm such a kinesthetic person, like I said, that it's really about being in the here and now. So that's like my long-term plans for my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah. It should be fun. How about for future lives? I have no idea. <laughs> Whatever my karma is, I'm like, this one is definitely, I've, I've definitely like hit the thing to where I was really Buddhist for a while. Yeah. And I was like, man, I can tell that this is not my karma to go sit in an ashram or sit like on a right. hill and just pray. Like that is, like, I call myself mystic in the mainstream. Yeah. So like I'm really meant to be like in the mainstream America, but with this new culture and this new mindset and kind of like allow people into this world without like kind of uh, shaming them or making it wrong or any of those things. So yeah, it's definitely like to be, you know, how do you hold this space within the creation of Manhattan in the middle of right. LA how do I help these people channel into this energy of spirit because actually like Hollywood comes from the Jewish of like the holly tree and there's like this whole lineage of like even spirituality within Hollywood yeah that reminds me what does your necklace say um, my necklace actually comes from uh, the Kabbalah so it's actually oh, a Jewish cool. yeah so it's the mystic part of the Judaic, um, and it's one of the 70 aspects of God. Oh, okay. It's Ayin Hey Hey, one of the 72-fold names yeah. of God from Exodus chapters, uh, what was it, 14, 15, and 16, written forwards and backwards, <laughs> and then chopped into 72 bits? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah it's really powerful. I have to say this is a super powerful necklace, and uh, it's been interesting how even wearing this necklace, the opportunities and the people that have arisen and shown up in my reality is super interesting how a piece of metal around my neck yeah, yeah, yeah. can do that. Very interesting. Are you familiar with the Hermetic Kabbalah? No. There's basically a few hundred years ago when when <laughs> everything except for mainstream Catholicism was forbidden in Europe, um, when people would come up from Spain or Africa by way of Spain, or people would go down to Arabia and then come back, and they wanted to talk about this stuff, they would do it in secret. And so her, it's hermetic or sealed in a jar. Awesome. So hermetic Kabbalah refers to a very... Europeanized and it has a lot of pagan elements in it so they'll say in the same breath they'll say well first of all they'll mispronounce all the Hebrew so they'll say <laughs> Malkuth instead of Malkut or Malkus and they'll they'll you know say Venus and Aphrodite correspond with Netzach which would uh, ring as blasphemy to most totally. Jewish people um, so that all with that qualifier uh, in place I wanted to find this one on here so that's Ayin hey hey, right? So that's what they did was they put an L or an I at the end of all seventy-two of them in order to make them into mm. these angels. Cool. So there's the seventy-two angels, and the these angel are goes like this. Yeah, and there's uh, I seven. Might, I think it might be read this way. Oh, I was looking at it backwards. Hey hey, Ayin. That makes more sense. Hey hey, Ayin. Here it is. So it's ha ha, I. Ha ha I. Um, and it corresponds to the first five degrees of Virgo, the ten of discs, which is prosperity, and uh, what else? Um, and I can find it if I look at the numbering system. It's been a long time since I've... This is awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. So, what is it? It's Virgo, so it's going to be this color. Um, the one with the twelve. That one. So this is the sigil according to medieval uh european hermetic cabalist slash alchemists of how to connect with the angel that corresponds with the three 
letters of the name of God on, on your cool. So there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Amazing. So another connection. Oh my God. That's super epic. Yeah, yeah. Cause like, um, honestly it's been really interesting to wear this necklace. Um, I have literally people who, uh, directly feel a connection to me because I have this on. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting um, how strong the Jewish tribe is. Nice. Yeah, because I don't have any connection really in my lineage to any particular kind of uh, identity like that. Right. Like I'm really, like my family was agnostic atheist. So when I put this on, it's been really interesting how people open to me and how people feel this connection and there is power to this. And I've even been told that like, you know, and how many just doors have been opened. It's really interesting. So like the fact that this and I love angels and you know, all that stuff, they're just so beautiful. So I love that. Perfect. My my wife's, uh, that's my wife right there. Her, she's Jewish. Her grandmother, who's also Jewish, her mother's mother um, is an atheist. And she says that because when you're Jewish, you can be an atheist. <laughs> like that's you're allowed to to be intelligent and to think and to have opinions, and it doesn't affect your Judaism. For sure. Well, they definitely have this lineage. Respect like for your tradition, and go to Israel and ask you know half the people in, if they believe in God. You know. Yeah. <laughs> they'll say, "Are you kidding? No. <laughs> like I've been through the army. You know, like by the end of that, you, you don't believe in God anymore." Or you do. Some people come out fanatically, you know. Yeah, I think it's, you know, a mix of both. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and it is it is interesting, I have to say, like I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I'm a very you know, I definitely am of a white of a of Euro- European um, descent, so, mm-hmm. like, because I'm Caucasian, I have to say that, you know, it's interesting, because I do feel like, you know, I am a very privileged woman in this lifetime, so, uh, and it's not fair, life's not fair. And right. I do look at other people's lives in this world, and I do ask why, because um, I can't say that I always believe the law of attraction and that, you know, like you choose your whole life that I can say that to some kids that grow up in like really poor environments that I have no idea to even understand. I don't know that I can say, you know, that I understand all of it or that I really, you know, I know these things I get to work in my life and therefore I hope to stand up and to really change and to make as much of an impact in the world I can with my voice because I was born into a, a position of privilege and of leadership. So I do feel like on a soulful level that it's part of my duty and my destiny in this life to stand up for people that don't have a choice because yeah. I was given a choice. Yeah. How do you end your classes? So my favorite way to end a class is there is a Sanskrit saying that is loka samastar suki nu babantachu and it means may all beings everywhere live in peace, love, harmony, and happiness and may my actions in some way contribute to that. Nice. So I do believe that that's like the kind of, you know, thing I want to like offer to others and offer to my own self. Like I said, I really pray that my life is just a present and a gift to the world through Lily. And so that is once again, my favorite kind of, um, Sanskrit saying is low cost, summer star, sukinu, babantachu. So if you repeat that, you really think about your life being an offering and a gift to the world. Very cool. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, me too. My, uh, my dad we used to do a meditation working with the chakras in the morning when I was growing up and he would say, may all beings be happy. May all beings be in, be serene. May all beings be in peace. Totally. I think that comes very much from the Zen Buddhism actually. Yeah, I think that that's like yeah. what, cause I feel like I've read that exact thing Yeah, yeah. and Zen Buddhism is so different than Tibetan Buddhism. I've heard it in Tibetan Buddhism also. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I feel like Tibetan Buddhism, like, well, they could be wrong, but I feel like this is so much. They have so much more dogma, to be honest. They have a right, lot of right, very dogmatic. It's very interesting. They um, well, because they had the older religion that totally. they were co-opting as they went along, 
And not only that, but they were bringing Vajrayana Buddhism, totally. which was a developed form of Buddhism, and then incorporating <laughs> all of these bone deities into yeah. it. So it's just fascinating. Compared to Zen Buddhism, Zen yeah. Buddhism is so... Like, throw that all I, I know, yeah, it's just, yeah. I actually really like Zen Buddhism because yeah. of that. It's the first oh. spiritual that I connected have to. Have you read like, I have not. Oh, he would call them useless bags of skin. <laughs> the other forms of Buddhism. I kind of feel like in some ways, you know, because they get very dogmatic, and I was like, whoa, this feels really religious. Yeah. And to where Zen Buddhism just really had this openness of like you know the beauty of you and I sharing this moment together right, right here in the podcast is the beauty of that like there doesn't have to be this dogma this whole entire like and the epicness and the story and the gods and the other things going on yeah, it was like the yeah. beauty of like you and I just sitting here is can be completely that and be content with that and I found like a lot of magic in that not to always be seeking something more different but really to see the miracle and the magic of the present yeah. moment as exactly it as it is and yeah. realize that within that moment that was a miracle and magic right then yeah yeah, Dogen, the, uh, he was a Japanese guy who, he grew up in Pure Land Buddhism. Let me show you something real quick. Cool. Um, you, uh, normally people take their shoes off, but go ahead and leave them on just for practical purposes. Come on in. So this is based on the ancient Hebrew temple, very loosely. Um, oh, oh, basically. It's a, it's a mini, like, one-man version of a Solomon's temple. Cool. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, I love it. It's awesome. But anyhow, uh, Dogen was raised Pure Land Buddhist. And, uh, and so when his mom died, he was young, and the, the Pure Land Buddhist said, well, did she say the name of Avalokiteshvara daily? And he said yes, and they're like, okay, then she went to the Pure Land. So it was basically kind of like a real surfacey. It sounds like a surfacey form of Christianity a little bit, you know, like did she pray, then she'll go to heaven. And <laughs> For so, sure, no, yeah, no, it's yeah. Uh, also like, you know, I know, so I do sacred spiritual, or sexuality, um, mm-hmm. and... I don't know if you've ever actually read the Karma Sutra. I haven't. It's horrible. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I literally was like, oh my God. It like talks about how like women should be a certain way. And like, oh, it's very dogmatic. I and I was see. like, holy shit. Like, yeah. no, this is definitely, as, as like a really independent woman, it felt way too right, much controlling right. and things like that. And it's been really interesting. But just to finish the thought, he, um, so he was raised in that. And then that motivated him to travel to China to find the real Buddhism. Cool. Then he found Chan, which he brought back and called it Zen. Awesome. And that's how Zen That's amazing. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah. Wonderful. So well, he was giving a lot of lectures in the 1240s, our time, and uh, people were writing down everything he said, and they called it the Shobogenzo, the, uh, the eye of the true Dharma or something like that. Interesting. Treasury yeah. of the eye of the true Dharma. Totally. And uh, yeah, I recommend that. It's cool. It's really cool. Amazing. It's what, it's basically what got me into yoga indirectly. Because ah. I, I started, like, I was overweight and depressed and, and smoking and working in corporate America. And I was reading Shobogenzo. And he was always talking about lotus, you know, sitting in lotus and sitting perfectly upright and describing it. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I was far from being able to do lotus. Yeah. But I always considered myself someone who meditated. Yeah. I grew up meditating. Totally. And so kind of like almost almost in a pride sense. Totally. I wanted to be able to meditate in lotus so nobody could tell me I wasn't meditating. <laughs> yeah, for you know? sure, for sure. And so in order to do that, of course, it hurt when I tried yeah. to do it. So I started doing a lot of yoga. Cool. And then after about a year of that, I was like, I'm going to change careers. So That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. How powerful. Yeah. Yeah. High five. High five. <laughs> cool. Cool. That's my story. Awesome. Stick into it. Nice. So what is what, what's your favorite um, Buddhist temple around town? Have you uh, been to many of them? I've not been to many Buddhist temples. I know, but I, I have to say them. the self-realization, though. If oh, you're ever in yeah. LA or yeah. San Diego area, the temple of self-realization, both um, in the 
Pacific Palisades? Pacific Palisades, yeah. and then also down in, in Encinitas and oh, San Diego. Oh, I have to check that out. I yeah, it's a smaller one, like the actual temple kind of fell, but it's like the other uh, chapter, whatever you want to call it, right. and that's what I would say are the most oh, magical cool. for Oh, cool, I sure. love them. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I know a few people who, I know someone who's raising her son going to Sunday school there, Uh-huh. and I know a guy who's an adult who went to Sunday school there that I'm going to actually have on the oh, podcast. Oh, cool, perfect, he, yeah. He's like, I don't know what I'd say. I'm like... You what do you mean? Raised like, in the, yeah. like a basically a religion established by Purimanta sure. Yogananda. Like, yeah, that's awesome. For sure, the guy who wrote to be you know the autobiography of a of yogi, yogi, which really is kind of the inspiration for the title of this podcast. Which oh. I'm not saying this is how to be a yogi. I'm saying I'm trying totally. to be a yogi. Totally. One day, totally. maybe. You know, I would I would say you know how to be a yogi. Uh, first things, learn like the disciplines of yoga learn and the, the intentions. Learn the yeah. sutras for yeah. sure because it's way deeper than just a uh, physical practice. It should really transform all of your life it should yeah. truly transform and touch all of your life in the way you do everything it should become very mindful and as well as do not leave your practice on the mat right. so sean coin is actually part of this practice and it's um it's called off the mat into the world mm. and it's about how to really take your yoga practice into the world and it's a, for her it's a non-profit but i really think it's a way of life mm. so off the mat into the world and i think that's really important to like learn the yoga sutras learn like the benefits of yoga beyond just the physical and to take that into your everyday life so you become a different, you know, shiny yourself. Like there's yeah. um, Michelangelo. I always feel like we're like diamonds in the rough, and every decision, action, and thought I have is either making that dirtier or cleaner. Mm. And so with Michelangelo and David, what he said was all he was doing was actually releasing David from the stone. Mm -hmm. So in his idea, the stone was already there, and everything he did was just cutting away at that. And I kind of feel like that we have the option and the um, path to do that with our own self through these practices right. and it's kind of almost like just every cut you make on a diamond to make it shinier yeah that's so true how cool yeah <laughs> so just like release your David I think that is like most important and to see your practice as that not to see it as a punishment of like I'm not this so I need to be better but to really be like no I'm releasing the happiest most joyous highful peaceful amazing self which is really like all of our you know everything we want whether it's money or fame or freedom or a certain lifestyle or whatever it's actually all comes back to the fact we want freedom and joy yeah is really what we're all seeking is yeah. to really live in a place and you know and so we start to cultivate that so yeah cool yeah so tell us a little bit more about like what is it again the the shakti sacred sexuality because i know that a lot of people <laughs> When they when they hear something like that, they'll be like, "Oh, that's some some shady business." For sure. uh, so I mean, if if you want to, yeah. So I do a lot of white tantra, which is like the breath work and things like that. And I really feel like in mine, um, I had a really horrible experience in my teen years, and I was really dark, like I mentioned, and that was a sexual act that was put on me. And um, later on, I decided that I really wanted to find love. And so for me, I had a big transformation when I really opened back into love with relationships to men and my intimacy and to drop that down. So my path and my sacred sexuality is really about cultivating a God consciousness and love and ecstasy and bliss and joy all in one. So it isn't like you get to be really promiscuous and have really great sex, but also there's this darkness and under like lying like sense of like, I shouldn't be doing this to myself, which I right. felt like is really what's happening in a lot of people's sexual lives yeah. or there's the opposite where people like are like well I just don't need to ha like shouldn't have it at all and the repression of yeah, it and then like, the and second chakra suffers yeah and yeah. it's prana prana is life force yeah and they're very much one and the same I mean you know our genesis was actually an orgasm of our father inside our mother that's so true it's really hard to deny the sexual energy because we actually are like truly sex manifest into the like you know 
biggest form. So we can't really untie them, even though people will sometimes try to fight me on that. Just look at them like, well, you were created in that moment. So right. we can't really deny that I am a manifestation of sex. Yeah. Um, so sacred sexuality is really about learning how to enter into really pleasurable and amazing, but also enlightening, awakening, bringing us closer into love, closer into God consciousness, closer into practices that really value and honor ourselves. I also think that intimacy and when we're with another can be some of the biggest transformational spaces for us. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So when people go to this, it's basically like they take notes or, or you say, okay, everybody choose a partner. I mean, just so people have an idea. Totally. Of um, I really work either one-on-one or in groups. And normally it's not, you can take some notes. It's also a lot of self-practice. So it's a lot of different things. Like people on their own. People on their own. Like and yeah, we, uh-huh, exactly. And then it was with partnerships as well because we get triggered. And so a lot people of life we can have a mindset, but if we have, we have to go past a mindset. So sometimes you'll notice that mindset's one thing, but when you actually enter into a relationship, you can be really triggered or opened or other things like that. Yeah. So it's about all of it. It's about learning to also release the baggage and the bullshit that we have cultivated through yeah. um, growing up in a society that's really either like porn or pur- puritanism. And right. to be honest, we need a collaboration of both yeah. so that we have really a, like fun and blissful and amazing sex that's also with consciousness and bliss and love. So the two get to be together. So we yeah. don't feel shame or guilty around it, but really come away walking, being like that was an act of love, both for myself and for the other. And that's really powerful and healing for both. And also the intimacy and vulnerability is a space that is really powerful to each person and brings really that joy of being in the present moment. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So the Kama Sutra, um, the, the, uh, if, if Tantra, if the, if the textbooks of Tantra have this underlying chauvinism, is there is there a is there a cure? Is there something? I mean, is is it a new form of tantra? Um, I would say that tantra is a lineage, just like yoga, that has multiple different limbs and okay. different people, or like Buddhism, like we we're just talking about all the different ways that Buddhism has been digest, you know, taken into yeah. form. So tantra is the same thing. So okay. there's different. Lineages. So Kama Sutra is just one branch. Yeah, uh huh, hundred percent. So okay. it's not like this is tantra and it's all the my, same. I remember lineage. my dad showed me the pictures when I was young. Yeah, I the never... pictures are cool. I think some of the actual text <laughs> I found was like a little bit much. So you know, there's always right. stuff to take and not to, and there's a yeah. lot of different um, things. But I think there's always been a way in which that we have known. I mean, there's even been temple priestesses, even before biblical times, mm-hmm. of women taking space within temples that men went to go sleep with them to reach God consciousness. Right. And so there's always been this lineage in our culture um, of humanity of realizing that God consciousness and sexuality can go together. So I think it's really just where, once again, you take it and just watching out because different things have been bastardized, of course, and to be really specific and really clear on who you want to work with and what your intention is. And to be really picky about who you study under, because there is a possibility and potential to have a really amazing awakening times, but not right. always. So I don't say go with every Tantra teacher yeah. by any means. Yeah. I only work with one, really. Craigslist. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, who was your teacher? Dawn Cartwright. She's based out of Santa Monica, but she's the only one who I've walked into and felt really good in her field. Cool. She definitely has a lot of white awakening light, but also very deep into the lineage and full of ecstasy and bliss and yumminess. So yeah, Dawn Cartwright. Nice. Yeah. What's Does she have a, a, a studio or is there a name? She does not have a studio. She just uh, does retreats at different spaces like Lowe's okay. Hotel in Santa Monica and different things like that. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And you also do retreats. I do. I'm starting to. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And that was the name. I'm trying to remember the name. If I can't remember it, they can't remember it. So it yeah. was, it's Shakti. 
Illuminating Shakti. So you can look up um, any of this at Unstoppable Goddess. You can find me at the handle. Unstoppable Goddess. Yeah, Unstoppable Goddess, Illuminating Shakti, and Lily Lucia are the three handles that you can find me underneath on anything. And always feel free to message me any questions or anything you guys would like to see. I'm here just to be a channel to the divine for this stuff, and this is what I'm called to create and share. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much of for joining course. us on the To Be a Yoga. My God, I, my pleasure. I love this discussion. Like so much yoga and tantra and just yeah. empowerment and yeah. like yumminess bliss for sure. So thank you. Absolutely. Powerful day. Thank you, Lily, for being our guest on the To Be a Yogi podcast today. It was nice meeting you. Special thanks to Brian Dahl for providing the music you're hearing in the background right now. And that is spelled B-R-Y-I-N-D-A-L-L. And don't forget, you can search for my name, Edward Reeb, and that's R-E-I-B, on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, and download my app. Thank you all for tuning in. to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Namaste. Cry!